Good morning, good morning. Well, we don't usually do topics here, um, and we're taking a topic on this morning, and um, I want to just have a big, actually, I wish Teresa was up here so she could hold my hand while I talk this morning, because um, I really don't know what I'm doing. She really is better at this. Um, also want to just put a disclaimer out. They didn't pick me because we're great at this. I just didn't say I wouldn't do it first. Um, so... <laughs> Please know that I'm not up here trying to say, hey, look what we've done. We've been perfect. We've not. Um, by God's grace, he is uh, working in our kids' lives. He's working in my life, and I hope that he's working in your lives as well. And my desire this morning is that each of us would be encouraged. Um, some of you are actively active parents today. Thank you. I wondered where that was. Some, some of you are active parents today of this age group. Um, and, and some are not. So you might be sitting here thinking, well, what am I going to do for this next 45 minutes while he talks? Um, I'm going to ask you here in a moment after I pray to think of someone in your life that is in, this, in these age groups and recognize the opportunity you have to be an influence for Christ in those lives. And it's probably greater than you realize, especially at this age. So just would, would uh, encourage you with that. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would help us. Thank you that you are the perfect Father, and Lord, you've given imperfect people the job and task of raising the next generation for you. And so, as we look at your word this morning, as we focus on who you are, help us to recognize our need to depend on you, and just ask your help in this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, Teresa and I directed camp down at, at Turkey Hill for a number of years, and um, those of you poor kids that were in those years, we always did new games and things, and, and about a third or, or so of those games did not work. One of those games that did not work was, I thought it'd be really fun to have, you know, we had, when we started, it was like 80 kids, and that grew to 120 kids, then it was 150 kids, then it was 180 kids, right? So you, the job of keeping all those kids active became more and more intense, right? And so we divide the teams up and, and typically there'd be about 20 on each team. And these are eight to 13 year olds. So I won't go through all the bad games that we did over the years, but one of them that we tried was, think of a soccer field going one way and a soccer field going the other way. And so I thought, you know, why can't we just have, we got limited space, we'll have two games at once, right? We'll have a blue ball and a red ball. These two teams will play this way and these two teams will play the other way. We'll just blow the whistle and say go. And these eight-year-olds and kids are going to figure out which goal they need to go for and, and which ball they're supposed to be playing with. And this will be kind of, you know, get 80 kids on the field. Imagine that. And we really like to play these games when it was muddy. So we marched down to the activity field and described the games. And as usual, the counselors are looking at us like, really, we're going to try this? blew the whistle, kicked the ball up for the red teams to play, the blue teams to play, and all craziness ensued, right? I'm sure that the teams knew which goals they were supposed to go after. Um, it turned out that all the teams were trying to stop everyone from scoring, and <laughs> it turned into, into something else. Parenting in this world is somewhat like that. The world has a different goal. They're playing, they may be playing on the same field we are, but the game that they're playing has a totally different goal than ours. We're playing crossways in a world that's trying to go 
toward self, toward pride, toward all of the things that are contrary to who Jesus Christ is. And so in some ways we're asking, God's asked us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and others to take our kids down and put them on the field and then let them go and ask them to play and say, you're playing with this ball. Don't worry about the other one. Just go this way and stop the ball from going that way. And it's a hard thing to do in a world that is so aggressively against what God would have for our kids. And this morning, we're gonna talk about two stages. One is training and one is coaching. Training is where you have practice, right? You go through real life situations, you're standing next to them, you're on the field, you say, okay, go. You do a little exercise and you stop and say, okay, what could we have done better? This is different, this has changed. And so you're actually in the game with them. And this is a really fun time of life, right? Because it's kind of the, the junior high, this is a big gap, a 10-year-old 10, 10 to a 14-year-old, that's a big gap, right? The beginning, they're just trying to do the basics and as they come out of this age, they think they're ready for life and they're really not, but they think they are. And then you go into the 15 to 18-year-olds and you're all of a sudden relegated. I was gonna bring a, a whistle this morning. In the first stage, you have a whistle, right? You can stop practice. You can say, hey, no, this is the way it is. But then when you're coaching, you don't get a whistle anymore. And you get to maybe yell from the sidelines once in a while. Um, you get to call a timeout to say, hey, is this really what we meant to do? But the opportunity for us to be on the field and say, okay, now's the time to pass. Now's the time to do this. That opportunity has passed. That was what you had when you were training them. You still have opportunity to train. They still come, they're in between games and all those times. But as you send your kids out into the field that might be look like that poor soccer field did. By the way, we had two of those games going on at once. So there was actually 160 kids just going after it with two games of, of red and blue balls. And your kids may get confused too of, well, why is everybody else doing this when you're asking me to do something else? And so this, this opportunity that we have to train is, is real. Hebrews 12.5, and, and I'm gonna ask you, if you're taking notes, I hope that you take three things away. I'm gonna throw about 150 things at you this morning. Sorry. Yeah, Sebastian's like, really? I'm like, yeah, hey, wait till you see, I got 28 slides. Um, <laughs> we're gonna throw a bunch at you. If you just take three things away this morning, that, that would be great. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit would have for you. This is more a classroom setting um, than, a, than a Sunday morning preaching, but... Please let us, please know that the opportunity for each of us um, to take something away from God's word is here. God parents us, and part of that parenting is he disciplines us. And just because someone is 10 or 15 or 18, I, we did youth group for 18 years, from 88 to 2006, when the kids started coming in and they were born after I graduated high school, I was like, well, I think it's probably time for us to do something different. So we watch kids, we, we have watched kids years over years over years. And now I've watched them grow um, into men and women and moms and dads and um, God disciplines us. We would have parents say, well, I'd like my kid to come to youth group, but he doesn't wanna come or she doesn't wanna come. I'm like, well, do you feed them? Are they living in your house? 
Just because they're 17 doesn't mean that they don't have to listen to you. My dad always said, you can do whatever you want, but if you're gonna live here, here's the deal. I think as parents, we sometimes take the coaching stage and give up. And so I would just encourage us, God doesn't give up on us. He's still disciplining me as his son. And he's still disciplining you because I love verse 10 there. God disciplines is always good for us, causing us to be holy. Why does God discipline us? Not to be punitive. It's so that we can bring him glory. It's so that we can be useful to him. It's not because he's saying, hey, Bob, you screwed up whack. It's, hey, Bob, when you do that, I don't get glory. Hey, Bob, when you do that, if you did this instead, the results would be different. And so for all of us, discipline and and chastening of the Lord is not fun. And this happens in a lot of different ways. And this is something that happens over time. And, And for all of us, we know what that's like. And so encourage us to recognize that. You may be sitting here and you're a parent of a 10 to 18 year old and you're like uh, holding on to a wild horse and just going, okay, here we go. I didn't know what we were doing either and neither did your parents. And about 35 is when I recognized that, oh, mom and dad didn't have a clue either. They were just doing the best they could and asking God for help. And you may be sitting here as a grandma or a grandpa, an uncle, aunt, cousin, family friend. Who in your life, I'd like to just to stop and, and seriously think, who is a young person in your life that is in this age group of, eight to eight, of 10 to 18? Who is it that God's put in your life? Might be your son, might be your daughter, might be your grandson, it might be a neighbor. When I asked Levi, when he was a kid, I said, who are the top five people you talk to? Of course, grandpa came out. Brooke Clunder came out, a couple others. And Darwin Hofer came out. Why was Darwin? And I was like, really, why Darwin? Then I'd forgotten when we were kids, mom and dad were, dad was having a hip surgery. Teresa had a trip planned. And we sent our kids to live with Darwin and Eileen for, I don't know, was it three days? How long was it? I don't know. Levi loved it. And that bond lasted for life. He's always looked up to Darwin. And so the opportunity to, to influence camp leader, teacher, coaches, employer, mentor, and really what this is, what we're talking about this morning, we're saying parenting. What we're really saying is this is the great commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He threw down and said, hey, and when you quote the great commission, I would encourage you start with verse 18. Because Jesus is saying this with all authority. He's no longer the lamb that died on the cross. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords. And he's telling us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And what we're talking about this morning, it's called parenting, but really what it is, is it's discipleship. Jesus, when he called his disciples in the gospels, what did he say? Follow me. And parents, you can't lead your kids where you're not. I can't encourage my son, my daughter. You can't encourage, now I've got a grandson, can you believe it? I can't encourage Roman to read his Bible if I'm not. I can't encourage Roman to be faithful in attendance at at church if I'm constantly scheduling things over church activities. I can't encourage things that I'm not doing. Because this 18-year-old, their baloney meter is very sensitive. They know exactly when something is real and when something's fake, when something's genuine 
and when something's just being talked about. And so the hardship of this age is you can't fool them anymore. When they were kids, you could fool them. You can't fool them at this age. And so it's, it's essential that we really trust. What does that look like walking? There's only one God. What are we to teach them? Take a picture of this slide if you want. Go to this, this Deuteronomy 6 is really the core. What are we teaching them? Hey, there's only one God. What am I supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what repeated in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. What's he say then? Teach them diligently to your children. This isn't a, hey, I want them to be great at shooting his bow or soccer or singing or whatever it might be. What am I supposed to teach diligently? Parents, it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to teach your kids. Take it seriously. And a lot of that is just walking with them and talking with them. David Bella and I were in the combine earlier this week and he said, so what do you do to be intentional with your kids to train them during that age? Because I asked him, I said, hey, what, what do your parents do? And they said, turn around. I said, you know what? I, I really just tried to live it before them. Then I asked the girls last night, I said, hey, what'd we do? Well, this, this, and this. Talk about it. Talk about God in every situation, day by day by day by day. If God's real to you, it's gonna be evident in your conversations about anything in life. What's important to me? Is it my work? Is it my, what, what's number one? Is it how my yard looks? Is it how my car is maintained? What's most important? Talk about God. Decorate your house with Bible verses. It says, hey, put it on your doorpost. If you don't have verses in your house, you know what? Don't just put faith and joy and that's great. Give the reason. Put a Bible verse up there. If there's not, sorry to be picky. If there's not a, and there's, we don't have our Bible verses back up yet, but if there's not a reference at the bottom, it's just platitudes. Sorry. The world's playing that game of being nice. We're not trying to raise nice kids. We're trying to raise kids that have a heart for Jesus Christ. Let's tell them why we're being nice, why we're loving. Put it on your walls. It'll cause them, it'll also cause everyone that walks in your house to see something different. Teresa painted a verse on the wall back in the day. And unfortunately, we sold the house to our friends, the DeFords. We took a picture of it and we rehung it. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our kids saw that every day. We love him because he first loved us. John 3, 16, whatever it might be. Moses is saying, hey, put it on your, on your walls. What's important? A nice scene of a peaceful pond or God's word? Have both. When your son asks what's the meaning of whatever, tell them about how God has worked in your lives and in others. You know what? We have the opportunity to say, you know what? God led me in this. Dad, how'd you become, how'd you decide on this job? How'd you decide to marry mom? How'd you decide to live where you live? How do you decide... Hopefully we've got the opportunity to, at those moments, bring God glory and bring him into the conversation. And sometimes they're failures, right? You know what, son? I, I, I didn't do a good job there. You know what, honey? I, I, I should have been more attentive. I barged ahead. And God still gets glory. It's not all up, up, and away, right? 
We've made mistakes. Let's not pretend that we haven't. And we continue to seek. And what we're doing as parents is what we're doing as those discipling others is trying to point them to Christ, not ourselves. Trying to say, hey, my authority for a while is in your life and delegated by God. But it's really for us to point them to Christ. That statistic that 75% of your time will be spent with your kids by the time they're 12, 90% by the time they're 18. Precious time. Point them to Christ. Teach children to fear the Lord and obey him, his commands. Great passage. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. What's a child's job? They're to obey. Sorry, kids. It's the way it is. Not because your parents are right, not because your parents are perfect, but because that's your job. Someday you'll get to make your own call. And until then, while they're feeding you and housing you, parents, be the parent. Have them obey. Honor your father and mother. I was with a friend of mine, Larry Freed, Dave Garten, and I have known him since third grade. His mom's lived with him for 17 years. She just got to a place where he had to get additional care for her. It was beautiful. I, I called him out of the blue. He had no chance to kind of polish up his life. And I said, hey, Larry, I'm turning off on exit 168 on Highway 80. Can I come see you? I said, yeah, I'm just getting a pizza. My mom and I are going to watch the Hawkeye game together. And so I got to stop by his home. He is honoring his mom. I actually cried with him. Wow. How do we teach our kids to honor us? We model it. We model it. How am I treating my parents? How are you treating your parents? Some of you left the home in rebellion. Now's the time to fix that before your kids are too old. Some of you left the home in willfulness, like I did. Pass that up before your kids come through. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. I was posting up on Levi, he was six years old. We were playing basketball with a seven foot hoop and I was dunking on him and he started crying and I said, hey, they're not gonna give you a pass in third grade on the recess, so you need to toughen up. He's six years old, he's like. (laughs) Well-intentioned young dads, we kind of go a little far, right? Like, we're like, hey, right? If you're the first one through the path, experiment number one, we call it. Don't provoke them to anger. You know, we can set the boundary so tight that the kids have nowhere to turn. Let's give them opportunity to fail and succeed. It's hard to do, even if there are good intentions. Levi did end up playing a seven-foot-one guy in high school, and he was posting up on Levi hard and Levi was hanging with him. But it wasn't because I was throwing him to the ground when he was six. (laughs) Fathers, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Dads, this is your responsibility. Sorry, God's put us in your home. You're in charge of it. That means you need to be in the word. Some of you that have little kids better buckle in and get to know God's word for yourself so you've got something to pass on. You can't pass on, hey, we go to church on Sunday. That's not gonna cut it. They're gonna play the other 
direction in the world. They're going to end up playing with the blue ball instead of the red ball. Rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Training. All right, here we go into some specifics. Training replicates real life situations, often includes repetition. This is why we call it practice, right? 10 to 14 year olds, this is great. They start off in this stage, kind of little boys, then they become, at 12 in the Old Testament, that's when they went from the mom camp to the dad camp, and at 12 you um, started doing big boy things, right? Great transition. This is such a fun age. Oops, I'm hitting the wrong button. Trainers demonstrate why. Proverbs 1, 7 to 19, if you want to grab that and look at that later. And if you want, I will email this packet to anybody. I know what it's like to take notes, and I'm like the worst nightmare this morning, sorry. What are we teaching them? Fear the Lord. Follow instruction of your parents. Don't associate with the wicked. Your 11-year-old, hey, you know what? Sorry, you're better off not to have any friends than to have that guy as a friend or that girl as a friend. That's hard. That's hard. That's what we're teaching them in this stage. The goal is to train the heart of the child to reach things that are, are not just nice, but are actually encouraging them to live for the Lord. Model and encourage spiritual disciplines. During this stage, if your kid's not bringing their own Bible to church, next Sunday is the first Sunday. Sorry, son, daughter, you can't come to church without your Bible. If you're taking the bread and the wine, you need to be following along. This is how you train them. They're not going to all of a sudden wake up and start singing in church on Sunday morning when they're 19. If they're not following along, then they shouldn't be taking the bread and the wine. They're drinking condemnation to themselves. Mom and dad, this is your job. My mom and dad once in a while put their arm around me, not very often, but go, hey, son, this is, you're missing out here. Still, I'm thankful for that. If they've got a smartphone, they got their Bible on it, I'm not saying it has to be the hard copy, but it's got to be something when Caleb Ford opens up and says, hey, turn to John 1. They need to be turned into John 1. Dad, you need to look down and go, son, get your Bible open. Because I got my Bible open. You can do that. I'd encourage you to do it at home before you do it here. Hey, here's the expectation. Starting next week, or whatever it is, you can blame it on me. Whatever. Model those things and then ask them. I had, a, I had a sixth grade teacher, his name was Bill Miller. My dad read his Bible through every year. I never, I never questioned, did my dad read the Bible? He was not asking me to do things that he didn't do. But it was Bill Miller at school, at Christian school, that challenged us, said, you do everything you want every day. There shouldn't be another day in your life that you don't read God's word. He was a godly, awesome man. I sat there, 12 years old, said, I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how late it is, every day. I remember dad saying, don't make promises to God you don't intend to keep. So I didn't make a promise. I said, I'm gonna do that. I did it for a year and a half. I still remember coming to my dad and saying, hey, you know what? I made, a, made it almost two years of every day reading my Bible. 
12, 13, he was like, that's great, son. Do you have a plan of what you're reading? I'm like, no. <laughs> Be in prayer for yourself. Your kids are getting more out of breaking bread than you know when they're two, three, four, five. We're singing a bunch of new songs, isn't it great? Like I'm actually reading the words. I don't know what tune to sing. For some of you, they're oldies. For me, like, wow, that's a brand new song. All right. So that's the way it is for our kids. They're, they're singing these songs. They're like, what is this? And then they hear it over and over and over and over. Invite other godly people to teach and influence your kids for Christ. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, church friends. I knew I couldn't do it by myself. Teresa and I couldn't do it by ourselves. There comes a time in this stage where Johnny's just not going to listen to you anymore. My dad always said, about 15, my dad got really dumb. About 25, he started making sense again. Embed people in your kids' lives that they'll listen to, that you want them to listen to, that you know they're going to be pointing them to Christ. Maybe that's your role. Maybe you don't have a teenager anymore, but there's somebody here that you can have an influence on. I think, Dennis, was it your testimony? Somebody always came on Sunday night and said, hey, are you saved yet? Right? I think of that all the time. Who am I doing that to? Who are you doing that to? Pick out one kid that you're going to, every break, go talk to. Hey, how can I pray for you? They're going to go, why in the world is that old guy paying attention to me? We can have an influence. This stage... Teresa always said we want our kids to lose their naivety without losing their innocence. Look at the second half of Romans 16, 19. It says, I want you to be wise about good and simple about evil. We don't have to show our kids all the garbage in the world, but we can help them recognize that there is evil. There is a battle going on for your heart and your attention. There is another game going on that's different than what we're trying to prepare you for. Smartphones, delay as long as you can. I did not do well at this. They were just coming out when we were doing this and we got them little flip phones and put safeguards in place for your kids. Addicting behaviors, get this, 12-year-olds average seven hours a day on their phone. I was five hours and 42 minutes this last week. What were you? More than you want to admit. Social media teaches them to compare themselves with others. Comparing's awful because you're either cause you to be prideful, like, oh, look how good I am. Got it better than you. Or coveting. Nuts, I want that. I want to do that. I want to have that. I want to look like that. When I was growing up, there was no term called selfie. Now I watch my kids walk around taking pictures of themselves. What are we doing? Self-worship. We need to be actively talking to our kids about it. A lot of verses there about coveting. Gaming, addicting behavior again. 12-year-olds on gaming and their phone combined, nine hours. That's more than they're sleeping. Pornography. We've got to talk to them about this. A lot are getting exposed at seven, eight, nine years old. They don't even know what they're looking at. Dads, especially with your sons, moms, with your daughters. 
Now's the time when you can walk through this with them. You're at the stage where you're still training. You're alongside them and saying, hey, here's what I do when this pop-up happens. Hey, this is why I'm not on Instagram anymore. Hey, this is why, talk about it. Go along with them. I'm thankful our family has switched to just a text thing. Or our Tuesday night group is using GroupMe so we can send pictures and pray for one another. Talk about it. Pornography is something that takes over and, and Jesus said, if you look at someone lust, of lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Then we get to the coaching age. We take the whistle off and now life gets really, it's, it's the beginning ages of your, uh, in the out of control stage of parenting. You can call timeouts once in a while, but there's not really all you can do. Hopefully before you get here, you've done a lot of things in the background. Because when the whistle blows and the real game starts, there's only so much that you can help along with. You got hormones going crazy. It's been so long since you've had this, you don't remember. It's like, why is my daughter crying? What's going on with my son? He just got aggressive. I remember Levi in junior high started pulling away from mom and I'm like, I don't even talk to your mother that way. What is going on? We had coffee with my brother and sister, Mindy and Billy, and said, you know, we we're talking about life and like, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, oh, how old is he? Oh, he's 14. Oh, that's okay. That's natural. He's just trying to figure out what it means to be a man. That like calmed our nerves. We thought, man, we've really screwed up experiment number one. Completely. I've never done this before. Parents, you've never done this before. Tell your kids that. We told them that all the time. Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing the best I can. Please be patient with me. Right? Give them the big picture. Here's what's going on in the game. The world's trying to tear you down. The world's trying to take your naivety and innocence both. The world wants you to look at and play their game. We're trying to get you to play Jesus' game and have a life that's meaningful for him, that's eternally focused, not today focused. It's kind of like describing a foreign country they've never been to, right? You're still coaching and saying, hey, that whistle's gonna blow and you're gonna be out at a friend's on Friday night and they're gonna wanna watch something that I'm not gonna know you're gonna watch and you're gonna either say yes or no. You're either gonna say, hey, we should stop this or you're gonna have to leave because there's more people that wanna do it than you. That's what I'm talking about in coaching. These are real life experiences. When we did high school group, by their sophomore year, I could give you 80 to 90 percentile who's gonna continue on for Christ and who's not. Then they'd go off into college and punt their faith or, and the numbers are horrific. And the parents would be like, what happened to Billy? And it's like, no, remember back their sophomore year when you had them working on Sunday morning, didn't have them in youth group, didn't, taking all those trips. They don't have Christian friends. They're, all their friends are from the world. It happens and then it displays itself later. This is the age where you're coaching already. Get in serious with them. You can call periodic timeouts, but there's not an opportunity to take them out of the game because the game is going, the clock is ticking. And they're gonna be out of the house. They're gonna be out in the world on their own. And that's what you want, that's what we want. 
right? We're not raising them to not go out and impact the world. Parents, you're not the referee calling fouls and giving out penalties. Boys become more independent. Passport to purity would encourage you. This is for boys are asking themselves, do I have what it takes? Man, dad just seems like the best in the world. And, but do I have what it takes? Dads, answer that for your sons. Yes, son, you do have what it takes. Jesus Christ has given you everything for life and godliness. My hope is that you're better than me at everything you do. I'm gonna try and open every door I can. Take the time with your adolescent here, passport to purity. Frankly, you should do this when they're 12. I'm not sure why I have it in this age group. It should be earlier. Help them understand what's going on. They, why do I have zits? What's going on with my hair? Why do I stink? All those things, right? Like help them out. Be a safe place for them to ask you spiritual and life questions. Dad, why is this? Why do you and mom do that? How come we don't do that? How come, and give them real life answers to the questions they have. Moms, be careful not to be a hoverer. You may have good intentions, but it can kill your sons. They've got to grow up to be men, as God called them to be. Go on regular dates with your son. They're going to come back around when they're interested in girls, and we saw this. Billy Mindy told us. We were like, yeah, but we didn't have a clue. And then so all of a sudden, they're asking Teresa, hey, what about this? Girls, girls are asking, am I valuable? Am I desirable? What is special about me? The world's telling them, hey, you have to be this or you're not special. Hey, you have to do this or you're not valuable. Hey, you have to do, look this certain way or do these things or have these friends. Dads, at some point they realize you're a boy. Oh, boys have cooties. Then all of a sudden, they're, you know, it's, but the awkwardness is, is not, doesn't have to be there. Daddy-daughter dates are the best. I remember sitting across from Whitney at Red Lobster. Get her a flower, open her door for her. Sitting across from her, we were talking. I'm like, my daughter is a woman. She is a young lady. It's happened. It was delightful. Be that person for your daughter to get a hug, go on a date, have a conversation with. And if you don't, somebody else is gonna. So it may as well be you. Be a safe place for her to ask spiritual and life questions. Moms, hey, with your daughters, you get to tell her what it is, what is valuable, what's important. You're the example of what it means to be a godly woman and where you find yourself worth. Is it in how you look? Is it how your activities? Or is it in intrinsically who Jesus Christ says you are? Listen, listen, listen. Put your daughter in your lap. Yeah, when they're 16, Yes. Help your daughter understand the physical changes going on. Again, passport to purity. Model and discuss sexual purity. Moms with your daughters. Celebrate womanhood. Be a safe place. Dating happens here. Um, Whitney came home in third grade and was like, Mom, Dad, who in my class am I going to marry? She's just one of these, you know, I got a list, I got to do it, I get it done. And God brought us something that, I don't know if you're saying, hey, we're going to date, we're going to court, we're going to arrange marriage, whatever you're going to do. I'll leave that to you. God brought to us, hey, Whitney, we're going to make a list of three, and you can pick one of those three. And if you want to recommend the list of three, you can recommend the list of three. Oh, 
okay, thanks. Back outside, she's happy again. That kind of stuck. We also have a no jerk policy. So when Levi and Elizabeth were getting close, Amber comes up from downstairs and says, hey, are Levi and Elizabeth getting serious? Because he just called me and asked what I thought of Elizabeth. Like, oh, I better pay attention too. It's kicking in. I know he already said, can we pencil her in on the list? I don't know what you're gonna work with, but relationship and dating, this happens. Hey, I think this girl's cute. What do I do about it? Walk through that with them closely. Encourage group things. Be specific. You're still setting rules. Again, personal spiritual habits modeled and encouraged. Can't be forced. There's a lot of things that go on in these ages. Anxiety, depression, mental health issues, suicide, eating disorders. The world's oppressive. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Talk about those things with our kids. We may not even know what they're going through. Help them. Bring the discussion back to the truth. I remember my dad saying when he came back from college with, when, when uh, evolution was starting through, his dad was blind. He'd be asking him all about the Piltdown Man and all these things. My grandpa would say, well, Bob, I don't know, but the Bible says. My dad said, I used to just get mad because he kept on coming back to the Bible. Well, son, I don't know, but the Bible says. What a great thing. What a great thing. Let's not play the game on the world's field. Let's play it the way God wants us to. I don't know, honey, but the Bible says this. This is what he wants for us. Distracted driving, all kinds of great things happen in this age, right? All of our kids went in the ditch at one time or another. Um, I can go into it. I mean, on bright, sunny days. Right, Mallory? <laughs> like, how could somebody... Alex Lorson went and saw a car in the ditch with me after we were hunting one Sunday afternoon. We're like, how, what, what happened here? How did someone go in the ditch on a day like this? Well, ask Mallory. <laughs> don't, don't micromanage. This is that helicopter parent. One thing we watched as we worked with high school kids through the 80s and then into the 90s and early 2000s, the parents got to where they didn't know how to let go. They became so child-focused instead of Christ-focused that they were hovering over their kids micromanaging, they're afraid. Don't be afraid. We can raise our kids with confidence and faith that God's gonna grab their heart. We can't do that. We can point them to Christ. We can embed God's word in their hearts. We can keep them from friends that are harmful to them. We can put them in situations. Why do we send our kids to Bible camp for six to eight weeks of summer? For friendships, that's it. I knew Sonny was gonna, Williams was gonna have an influence on our kids that I couldn't have. Put them in situations that you can. Sports in moderation, are they gonna get a job outside the home? It's not gonna conflict with church. Just make that a rule. Vehicles, phones, clothes, who's gonna pay for what? Lots of things in this life skills. I remember when we dropped Levi off and he waved at us when, at school and we're like, wait, we didn't teach him. How's he gonna teach the most important things? We always said our job as parents is to show our kids the doors of life and it's up to them to choose them. Broaden the horizon. God may have things for your kids that he doesn't have for you. So open up opportunities for them that they can see. The only way for them to develop their own convictions is for them to read the Bible for themselves and be confronted with what God has to say and who he is and what he has to say. Mom and dad, be in the word yourself daily and make sure that your kids understand the importance 
The only way you're going to get to know God is to be in his word. Sometimes you're not going to understand a thing you're reading, but you need to be in his word. Friends matter. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Walk and talk, talk about Jesus all the time. Sorry, let me go back. Bottom one there. When they fail, let them suffer the consequences. That's hard. Wow, son, that's going to be a tough one for you to figure out. Right? <laughs> Two or three times. Wow. Okay. Don't try to be their friend. That's going to be later. I remember in this stage, dad, dad would say, hey, as a friend, I would tell you this. As your dad, I'd tell you that. And about nine out of 10 times, it was always the same. Once in a while, it'd be different. And I remember in college then just really being friends. And it's beautiful, but it's not time when they're 17. Because their brain isn't even developed till they're 25. Every child's different. Let me say that again. Every child is different. The kid that you go say hi to at break next Sunday or tonight, today afterwards, or Iwana tonight that you don't know, that's one of your goals. Figure out who they are. How do they, what makes them tick? I grabbed Jace Baker the other day and I realized he doesn't really know me. I actually apologized to him. Where is Jace? Is he in here still? No. Nope. Okay. Yeah, I was like, hey, I saw him in a restaurant. I was like, hey, I'm sorry. I probably jumped in. You don't know me very well. Apologize often. Mom and dad, this is great. Apologize. Parents, godliness doesn't equal kids' godliness. Eli, Samuel, David. Parents can disqualify their parent, their kids. Kids can disqualify their parents from spiritual service. Why? Because Hebrew says, consider the outcome of their ways. So it's important that your kids understand be submissive and obedience. Bottom one there again, you can't expect them to prioritize meeting with God's people if you're regularly scheduling events over church. Church is not the answer, it's a part. It's a piece of a puzzle. But what you prioritize, they're gonna prioritize. At the end of the day, what I realized, and I, I, I thought I could like shotgun my kids and leave them with like 10 life things, you really only can pass on one or two, maybe three. What are the two or three things you're gonna pass on to your grandson? What am I gonna do with Roman? What are you doing with your grandson or that neighborhood kid or the kid in Iwana? Your kids aren't gonna agree with you. Teach them how to agree or disagree and still be one, right? You want them thinking. You're not trying to pound them into agreeing with everything that I think because I'm not right. I'm your parent. I'm struggling to walk with God too. There are no guarantees. One of the things that really helped Teresa and I early on, and this is not original with us, this was passed on, was, hey, we're not gonna take credit or blame for our kids. We're gonna do the best that we can. That freed us up to do some reckless things along the way. No, son, you can't do that. Or, hey, we're gonna have you do this. I remember when Levi was in Brazil in his junior year of high school, week three, with long puppy eyes, homesick. 
My mom was like, cut your losses now, bring him home. And it was fun. I, he just shared the other day how during that time after that phone call, dad was having his 75th birthday. He decided, I either need to figure this out or I'm going to be in trouble. And he took some steps. Randy and Kim, thanks for helping make that happen. There are no guarantees. They're going to choose for themselves. Maybe you've got a wavered son or daughter or grandson. It's not your fault. God is after them just like he's after you. None of us are perfect. None of us have been perfect. Our desire is to show them who Christ is, but they've got to choose them for themselves. In the training stage, if you get them into God's word, your chances go up. If you don't have them in God's word, they go down. Why? Because they don't have the truth to fight the world's lies. We've got to give our kids, our grandkids the truth so they can fight the world's lies. And then pray, pray, pray. God's not done with me. He's not done with you. He's not done with them. We can trust God with our kids. We can trust God with our feebleness and, and in, in uh, ability to be good parents and grandparents. Some of you, I remember, you know, one of the things they let us do back in the day was cut the umbilical cord when the baby was born. Some of you need to just hear, hey, let go a little bit. Some of you need to hear, you know what, get involved a little more. Bring Jesus to the table in a purposeful way. Whatever it is for you this morning, the goal is not so that we have a bunch of nice kids. The goal is so that we have kids that are not gonna survive the culture, but impact the culture. If you're hoping that your kids just graduate high school and aren't pregnant, that's not the goal Jesus Christ has for your kids. The goal is that they know Christ for themselves and can take him to the world. Set your goals differently than the world. Play a different game as a parent, as a grandparent, as a neighbor. As our, our, it's not gonna look, the world's not gonna figure it out. They're not gonna go, oh, I get it. They're not gonna get it. You can only pass on a couple things. Pass on Jesus Christ the best you know how, and then pray. And as a body here, I would plead with you, grab, grab these young people now. Build the relationship with them now. Just pick one and say, hey, you know what? I love you. Pick the one that irritates you the most. Because <laughs> you might turn out like me. I'm serious. Love on all. Bring Christ to all. Look at Dave Rodinius. He's a snot-nosed kid. He put up with me hunting and thank you for being patient with me when I knew it all. Put people in your kids' lives. If you've got kids that are in this age group, you can't do it alone. Don't cowboy it. Whether you're homeschooling or Christian schooling or public schooling, whatever you're doing with your kids, have a purpose. Don't just let these decisions be made because the world's playing the game that way. Your kids are your responsibility to train for Christ. Ask your kids on the way home, what'd you learn in Sunday school? Sunday school one hour a week is not enough. 
Youth group, one hour a week, two hours a week is not enough. We've got to take this training thing serious or the next generation is just going to look and smell like Christians, but they're not going to know why. We've got to get them into the word of God. Bring them to breaking of bread when they're too young to understand. Have them open God's word during breaking bread instead of looking at the sky. And then let God do the rest. That's where we walk by faith. You know, we've heard a couple of young men's testimonies here this last month. And sometimes it may look like a disaster. It may look like a car with a flat running down the highway at 60. It's like, hey, you need to pull over and stop. But God's always in control. We can trust him. Just like we trust him in our lives. I've run through patches of my life where I looked like that. You probably have too. But he's gracious. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we take the opportunity to point these aged kids to Christ. May we recognize the opportunity that we have to say, follow me, let's walk together and point them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for entrusting children to us. Not just us as parents, but us as a body of Christ. Lord, uh, the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the dad and the mom. And yet it also falls on all of us to be Christ to kids in this body that you've given us. Help us to love intentionally. Help us to point to Christ intentionally. Just think of the notes I received over the years from ladies that I didn't hardly even know that were such an encouragement. I pray that you would help our body to come up with creative ways by your spirit. Cause us to reach out and love one another. Help us to get involved in the next generation that's going to impact the Cedar Valley and the world for Christ. Lord, we thank you that we aren't judged by how good we've done. We don't know what we're doing. We're doing the best that we know how and we're fallible. So Lord, we hold our kids out an open hand to you and just ask that you would grab their hearts in earnest, that you would grab their hearts young, that they would seek you and that they would also desire to know you and pass you on to the world around them. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And we just uh, pray you would have encouraged each of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.